You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Maybe some of you already have it there. Titus chapter 3. Look at some other verses there. It's going to take me a little time to get there, if ever. Uh, started talking about this idea of uh, stewarding transformational moments, just a concise title for our current series. Um, so let me talk to you a little bit about what that means and, and what we talked about last week. Uh, in fact, this is uh, the foundational verse that we started with last week, this Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I just find this, these verses to be so foundational to who we are and the, and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And I might as well go ahead and read. This is from the Amplified Bible. Again, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage and freedom. So any place, anything that the Spirit of God is on, it's going to bring us freedom. It's going to liberate us. It's going to, to bring us in to more of what God has for us, more of his intention, more of his will for our life. It says, and all of us as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And again, that word glory, we don't use it that much uh, in English, but it, it means the, the essence of who God is, the essence of his nature, the, the divine attributes, the, the attributes of character that make God who he is. That's what his glory is. And it says, as we behold that in the word of God, as we continue to look at him and spend time with him, we are constantly being transfigured or transformed into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the point of these verses is that as we spend time in the presence of God and in the word of God, he actually changes who we are. This whole idea of you know transformational moments, we said last week that as we walk with the Lord, as we follow Jesus, okay, he leads us through a series of what we're calling transformational. There, there are encounters with him where he reveals something of himself. And in that moment, we see something of who he is, but it changes who we are. There is, um, and I guess this is where I got onto this, was that there are so many believers, some of them living their whole life, trying to live under self-regulation. They're trying to measure up to a, even a biblical standard of good and evil or right and wrong or moral, uh, a, a set of morals, you know. But, and, and they see that in the scripture and they see who God is. And, and, and many times from an honest heart, they are trying to regulate themselves into that image. They are trying to make those changes themselves. And they bring themselves under law. They bring themselves under rules and regulations. And we talked, we set a lot of foundation last week. So I really encourage you, if you weren't here, to 
you know, get one of the, the CDs out here free of the service or get the podcast or look it up on YouTube or whatever, but get the, get the foundation that we laid last week. But the idea is God has something much better than that for us. He does not, he has not called us to conform ourselves to his image. He has called us to pursue him and pursue relationship with him. And in that genuine, this isn't just religion. This isn't just something we come in and go through some motions. This is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we pour ourselves into that, there is there, he pours himself into our life in a way that as we go through these various encounters with him, and what's so cool about this is that he knows you and he knows me, and he has an, an exact plan for discipling you in himself and for bringing you and I, conforming us, transfiguring us into his own image. He has a plan for that. You're on a little different path. We're all headed for the same image, okay? But you're on a little different path than I'm on. The Lord will deal with issues in your heart and issues in your life in a different order likely than he does in my heart and my life, but he's heading us all the exact same direction. And what he's producing in us through that is his very own image, his own glory, his divine nature in us. And I just, I can't stress this strongly enough for what's going on in my heart, that God has so much more for you than just self-regulation and trying your hardest to conform to his image, trying to be like him, seeing something in the Bible and thinking, okay, God, I'm going to go do that, or I'm going to go be that, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this thing behind, and I'm going to gut it out, and I'm going to do it. He has something so much better than that for us. He wants the absolute power of his life and his spirit, the power of the gospel, the power that's in the word, the transforming power that's in that word to change us. These transformational moments, they, they actually change who we are at the core of our being so that we're not just trying to do something different. We are a new person. And my point in this whole teaching is that we have a responsibility in the over those moments. We have a responsibility, first of all, to put ourselves in a position to have those God encounters. And then we have a responsibility when we have those encounters, when his word comes alive off the page to us, or when the spirit of God impresses something on our heart, we have a stewardship responsibility. Everything that God brings into your life, virtually everything he brings into your life is going to come into your life in seed form. It's going to come into to your life. Is, and, and the amazing thing is a lot of times when it first comes in, it feels big. It's huge. It's, it's, it's a completely different way of looking at things or, or believing or we see something in him that's so amazing and it feels so big. It's still a seed. It might feel like a really big seed to us, but it's still a seed. This probably isn't a good example. We have, uh, we have bird feeders out in our yard, and uh, we really enjoy watching those guys because they're all different. Every one of the, I just, and it's because of God. He made them. All the critters are different. They've all got personalities. I don't know how far down that goes, but it, 
for sure goes, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised to get there and find out every ant had a different personality. From, <laughs> But anyway, so these little chickadees, we both really like them, little tiny guys, you know, and but they're they're aggressive and they're fast and they always come and they just grab something and fly away and eat it over here and then they come back and grab them. But anyway, we put out some peanuts a lot of times for uh, the magpies and the jays and all of them like bigger stuff. And But these chickadees will come and they will grab one of those big, I mean, for them, it's a huge peanut that they will grab and, you know, practically choke on and take it up and then break it up. That's like when God brings a big revelation into our life. Wasn't that a great example? It's just illustrating. I mean, it's just, it's going off in you. When God brings something into our life, it can feel so big to us. What we need to remember is it's still seed. It's always a seed. There's always more. It'll go deeper. It'll put down roots. It'll change who you are if we steward it. You can throw a lot of seed in the ground, and if you don't take care of it, it will not produce, or it will produce very little. You know, it's, and, and Jesus used those examples over and over about sowing seeds into our heart and that producing a huge harvest in us. And when we talk about that, there's, you know, it says here, it uses this word transfigured, transfigured into his very own image. And it's the same word that was used on the Mount of Transfiguration when, uh, they, they went up with Jesus and, and all of a sudden the heavens were opened and he was speaking with Moses and Elijah and, and, he, and he, he was transfigured. He began to, his glory just radiated out of him. It's the same word used of what he wants to do in us. So I just encourage you to, as we go into this, to realize these, this is how he works. As we follow him, he leads us from encounter to encounter to encounter with himself. And those encounters over time and over years will change who you are at the very core of your being. Not just what you do, but who you are. He will bring, boy, I'm just getting way ahead of myself already. He will bring, there are all these big spiritual truths that we see in the scripture spiritual realities. They are truths. They are, in fact, we're going to look at one in just a minute if I ever get over to Titus. Uh, there are these truths that are presented to us about the, for lack of a better term, the elements that make up our salvation. And, and they, they come to us, you know, we, we are forgiven. We are justified. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ. We are sanctified, set apart unto him. All these different big truths they are a finished fact in the heavenly realm. They're a finished fact because Jesus already went to the cross. He shed his blood for us. And in that salvation, all of this is already a spiritual reality. And every one of those realities that he sows into our heart, that we grab hold of, that we dig into and, and we begin to develop in, every one of those will have a tangible, measurable um, outcome in our lives. And we'll look at an example of that in just a minute. I got to go to a different verse. This just comes up right now. Uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29. 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29. Just, you can, you don't, well, you can turn over there if you want to. Um, it says, 
There are some other translations that I like better than this, but I'm not going to take the time to try and find it. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. I've got to find this other. I just love the way I think it's the living translation that does this. Yeah, living translation says new living. It says the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. So this is speaking of the mystery. There's always more in God. There's more, you know, than we're ever going to understand. God, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. Okay, we're not accountable for what he hasn't shown us. Okay, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Other translations say that so that we may follow all the words of the law. So what he's saying is the stuff that God hasn't shown us, we're not being held accountable for that. But we are accountable, and this is where we need to live. This is what we need to steward. We are accountable for the things that God has revealed and is revealing to us, whatever he does reveal to us. And the reason we want to be accountable over that and steward that well is because it has an outcome. It has an effect. It, it, uh, it says, so that we may obey all the terms of this covenant, so that we may walk in God's will for our life. Does that make sense to you? So the things, again, we need to steward well the things that God brings to us. I want us to be really, really aware of this. And I say, as we follow Jesus, he leads us in these, you know, these encounters. And, and when I say that, there are a lot of people here, a lot of different things. Um, so it's important. I just wanted to find that a little bit. You know, the, the term, uh, people are kind of, these days, some people are shying away from the term Christian, even though that's a biblical term. Okay. Uh, but the, so they'll say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a disciple of Christ. It's all fine. It's, it's all the same, really. Um, but if you're saying that, what that means is on a daily basis, we're paying attention to him. We're getting up where we are, we are devoted to him. We are listening to him. We are listening at his door for what he would say and where he would take us. That's what that means. You know, again, we said last week, this is different between making Jesus or recognizing him as savior Okay, which is true, and recognizing him as Lord. All right, Lord, that means he's in charge, means I belong to him. I live to serve him, and and we can do that knowing that that's going to work out the best for our life. Also, not only does he just deserve it because of who he is, but also. He does have, he created you. He designed you for a specific purpose. And for us to fulfill that purpose, we've got to be walking in him. So there's a path of choices that we're going to need to make. And so we've got to be listening to him every day. And in order to do that, we've got to make God's word our number one pursuit. No, knowing God is our number one pursuit, but we do a lot of that through his word. And that means I've got to make that word I've got to put it in first place in my life and make it final authority. In other words, when he shows me something in his word, I don't set out to get around it or to find a different idea. Or he, All you have to do is go out and ask some different people and they'll, they'll give you other ideas about how to live and, and to 
uh, not have to do whatever it was uh, his word says. You can find those other opinions and those other voices all around you. And if you don't feel like doing what, you, what the Lord's showing you, you can even talk to Christian people and they'll have some other view on it. Nevertheless, the one you're going to be accountable to is what he just revealed to you. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So, so we need to, that pursuit of him is a lot of it is a pursuit of his word and just soaking in his word and reading his word and asking him about his word and to reveal things to you from his word. And there's sort of a move going on right now of people that are reducing the word maybe to um, just the Beatitudes, just the first part of uh, Matthew, you know, just a few couple of chapters there. And that's, that's all they focus on. They don't like what Paul says because that gets serious. You know, you might have to change occupations if you start listening to what Paul says, you know. And, and so there's this kind of reduction and, and saying, oh, no, I follow Jesus. I don't, I'm not a, what was I called that one time? A biblicist, you know. And, I, you know, I'm not, uh, you can't, I'll just say it this way to save time. You can't say you love Jesus and not love his word. He is the word. They don't disagree. So it's very difficult to say, I'm a Jesus follower. I love Jesus, but... I'm shoving almost all the word out the door. You know, that's just, um, that's a disingenuous way to live would be a nice way to say that. Okay, so we need to, as we follow Christ, he positions us for these encounters with the Lord. All right, so let's, let's go on and look at some new stuff today. I've spent enough time on that. So Titus chapter 3 um, and I want to begin in verse 4 here. And these are verses that are used a lot in talking about our salvation. And I want to really tear them apart today. I'm going to give you a lot of definitions. So if you're a note taker, you're going to want to take notes today. And otherwise, just try to listen really well. But let's look at it. I'm reading from the New International Version, Titus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And uh, like I said, then we're going to go back and pick a lot of this apart. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done. In other words, not because of any of our good works. All right. But because of his mercy. That word actually is better translated compassion. So he saved us motivated by his own compassion. He saved us through the get this, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All right, washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal salvation. Let me just mention this right here. This is the kind of phrase you can look for. It, it talks about something that has already happened and is already a done deal. We have been justified by his grace. All right, that, and this I'm just bringing this up because this is an example of what I was just talking about, that any spiritual reality that we grab hold of that's found in the scripture and found in our salvation, we grab hold of it for ourselves. We need to expect that it will work itself out through us and there will be a tangible, measurable change in our life because of it. All right, and here's an example of that having been justified by his grace. That word justified, if you look it up in the Greek language, it's a legal term, and it means to be declared not guilty. It's a, it was used in a court of law to say, 
that you were declared not guilty and free to go. All right. Again, this whole passage tells us we weren't justified because of our good works. We didn't, some people are kind of taught to try and outweigh their sin with their good works. They live their life on a tally board. They have two columns, things they've done right and things they've done wrong. And they're trying to make the right side outweigh the bad side before they die, okay? There are a whole bunch of reasons that doesn't work. One is we were all born into a condition of sin because of Adam's sin, and it honestly doesn't even have anything to do with your or my behavior. Then there's our behavior. Then, our, then there's our inability to judge our own right and wrong. So anyway, without getting into all that, the scripture says, by his grace and by his blood, this is one of the big truths about our salvation. We've been justified. In God's sight, you can think about this term. A lot of Bible teachers say this. This term justified, you can think about it as it's just as if I'd never sinned. And everybody goes, I can't be. I know. That's why they call it good news. That's why the word gospel is used. It is good news. It is unbelievable news. It's not unbelievable. That's a bad term for that. It's inconceivable. It's, uh, I don't know what to use for that. It's ecstatically good news that we are justified by his grace, by his, because of his mercy, because of his compassion, because of all these things. He made a pathway for us to give our life to him. And when we give our life to him, his blood washes us clean and we stand before God justified. All right, that's an eternal truth. Whether you ever accept it about yourself and let it eradicate shame from your life, whether you ever let that truth bring you to where you can stand before God and you can lift up your eyes and look at your loving Father, whether you ever let it have that effect in your life or not, it's still true. It's an eternal truth. And it says, having been, this is done, this is done. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. All right, we might move into this place of heirship, of living in as an heir. So something that's already been fully done in eternal truth, uh, as we're impacted by the revel revelation of it, we become, we live out what that truth contains. That makes sense? Did you get that? Some of you, a few. That's good. There are a bunch of these <laughs> in the New Testament. It's filled with these truths about who we are, so now that changes who we are in our hearts, and so we begin to live differently. All right, so anyway, let's look at, let's break this verse down while we still have a little bit of time. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, all right, these terms, kindness and love, the Passion Translation says, uh, translates this as, as extraordinary compassion and overpowering love. What the scripture is telling us is that when Jesus Christ came to earth, this is what he came to show us. He came to demonstrate the extraordinary compassion of God. And he came to demonstrate and to provide for us an overpowering love. What does that mean? What does it overpower? It overpowers my inherent shame, my inherent 
sense of unworthiness before God. It overpowers fear. Scripture tells us that. Perfect love casts out all fear. If I'm afraid in my life, I'm afraid about God, I'm afraid about other people, I'm afraid about anything, it is the love of God that will overpower that in my life and and change who I am. This term kindness, again, I'm going to give you a bunch of definitions, so just try and bear with me. This term kindness, the kindness of God appeared in Jesus Christ. It is a quality that pervades one's whole nature. This is the definition of the Greek word that is translated here. A quality that pervades one's whole nature. What does that mean? It means this aspect, this kindness is who God is. It's not just something he does. It's who God is. This is his heart. You may have been taught he's wrathful, he's critical, he's angry. God doesn't love sin. God hates sin because it ruins you. Okay, it ruins his kids. It destroys people's lives. He hates it, but he loves people. And the scripture tells us that it is his kindness that actually leads people into repentance, into changing their life and abandoning their ways and turning to God. It's his kindness. The scripture says that flat out in the book of Romans. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So this word kindness, it's a quality that pervades one's whole nature removing anything that would be harsh or cutting. It's really interesting. This kindness, Jesus came and he showed us, he demonstrated this aspect of God's nature, his kindness. And that kindness is something that the the, um, Greek scholars will tell you, it mellows the whole person so that Uh, There is no harshness or sharpness or cutting that comes forth from that person. They actually use this word to describe wine when it was mellowed with age so that it was pleasant and smooth to the taste. They use the same word. It's this mellowing. It's this part of God's nature. And it says, when this appeared in Jesus, he saved us. This word kindness is something that is useful, it is profitable, it is gentle, it is filled with both clemency and justice. This is an aspect of God's nature that we see in Jesus Christ. This word compassion, it differs from mercy in that it's the outward working or effect of mercy. Mercy is something we feel in our heart. We can feel merciful towards somebody. We can feel pity is probably how we would say it. And, and I mean that in a good way. We can, we can sense mercy rising up in us. But the Bible word for compassion is a powerful word. When Jesus, and it, you can see this over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus would say he was moved with compassion and he healed people. He was moved with compassion and he taught people. He was healed with compassion. He set people free. He, he was moved with compassion and something happened. There was something released out of that compassion in his heart. And so he came and he demonstrated to us an aspect of God's nature, which is God's compassion, his kindness and his compassion. All right, you ready for another one? It says the kindness and love of God. It's interesting because usually when we see the word love, it's the word agape, which is a selfless love. This is not that word. This is the word 
uh, philanthropia, which you can guess we get the word uh, philanthropist from this word. In the Greek, here's what it means. It's a disposition, okay? So again, it's part of somebody's nature, which does not think of itself, but takes thought for the needs of others. I want you to get this picture of who God is and who he showed himself to be in Christ. He did not think of, he does not think of himself, but he thinks of the needs of others. It denotes that apparent and ready goodwill that's manifested, get this list, in a friendly and considerate demeanor. How many of you, when you think of God growing up, I wasn't taught that God had a friendly or considerate demeanor. I was taught the opposite. I was taught he was there just ready to crack us over the head and looking for the first opportunity. I mean, that was the picture I was given of God, that he was harsh, he was sharp, he was cutting, he was critical, he was constantly in judgment mode. And yet the scripture says, that's not who Jesus came to show. Jesus demonstrated, and listen, God is just. But what we can't quite grasp is that he is perfectly merciful and perfectly just at the same time. He can love and judge at the same time with no contradiction. We are not good at that, okay? So when Jesus came to the earth as our Savior, he came to show this part of God's nature. Considerate demeanor, a readiness to help, tenderheartedness, a readiness to help. When you go to God in prayer, do you approach him as someone who is ready to help? Ready and willing to help. Tenderheartedness. Get this one. Cherishing and maintaining fellowship. I love that. God cherishes his relationship with us. He cherishes his friendship with us. Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. And does that mean that we should treat him with any less reverence and awe? No. But he has chosen this. This is who he is. He cherishes fellowship. And it says he maintains fellowship. He works to maintain this relationship. So when we're blowing it, he's still where it doesn't mean we've, we don't have any accountability. We do. But God is always leading. You know, he is always out there maintaining this relationship and this fellowship with us. Says so the philanthropist or the person described with this word in the Greek culture serves as fellow citizens protects the oppressed, is mindful of the erring, those in error, gentle to the conquered. Isn't that interesting? Gentle to the conquered and self-renouncing in reference to his rights. That just reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 where it says that Jesus voluntarily laid aside the expression. He didn't change who he was. He, he is He is God the Son. He has been through eternity past. He is the Word of God, has been through eternity past, will be throughout eternity. He is the exact same person, but he laid aside his rightful expression of the Godhead and picked up the expression of the servant nature of God and came to us to show us that expression. 
of who he is. He didn't change his person, but he did come to express these attributes of God. And it says, when that love and that kindness and that compassion of God appeared. Here's, here's a word, it's uh, epiphaneo, that is where we get the word epiphany. It means to shine forth brightly in a sudden and unexpected appearance. It describes exactly what we read about in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that, that the Lord will, it says, when he appeared, when he shone forth brightly in a sudden and unexpected appearance, and that's what happens every time we have one of those encounters with him. Every time he opens his word to us, he, he bursts forth with this new revelation of who he is in our hearts. He shows us who he is. And he, he lives this way. This is what he does. And it says, when, when this all took place, are you still with me? I know this is kind of technical, but man, there's some good stuff in this. When, when all this happened, because of his mercy, not because of anything we did, he saved us through, get these two parts here. We're going to look at them. The washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Let's go over there. Look at uh, verse 5 kind of in detail. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to add verse 7 to this. I'm going to, you know, it's not that verse 6 isn't important. I'm just trying to make a point here. He, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit so that having been justified by grace, we might become, okay? We might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So, this verse is telling us that the salvation that we enjoy is composed of these two elements, not just one or the other. And this is important. It is our salvation is composed of regeneration, okay? Regeneration is what happens when we give our life to the Lord. And we are, we say, born again. Actually, Jesus used that term, born again. The Greek word regeneration means genesis again. Okay, what is Genesis? Genesis is origin. Genesis is the beginning. When we read through the book of Genesis, it's all about the origins of man and his relationship with God. It's all about, it's about creation, right? It's about all of those elements, the book of Genesis. This word means when, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, there is a new Genesis. Genesis, again, we have a new origin. We're no longer the same person. We're no longer just the person we were before we gave our lives to Jesus. We are born spiritually again. All right? And so this, we have this brand new, the scripture says we are a brand new creature in Christ that has never existed before. This happens in our spirit. And then the second part of this, this word and, it's regeneration and renewal. This word and links these two ideas together into one continuous thing. And so the second part of it is renewal or renovation by the Holy Spirit. And renovation is always this ongoing process. Why am I hammering this so hard? I mean, I know most of you know this because a lot of us, again, are raised to only focus on regeneration. We think that to be born again, that's, that's the goal, is to make Jesus the Lord of our life. And when we talk to somebody else, we think that's the whole goal, to get them to, to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And absolutely, that's the starting point. But our life in Christ is also about 
this continual ongoing renovation, remodeling, the renewing of our minds, the changing of our hearts, these encounters with God that change who we are on the inside. This tearing down of our old ways of thinking, our old worldview, our old attitudes, our old opinions, all of this stuff being torn down and rebuilt in his image. And these two things compose salvation. So it's incredibly important that we give ourselves to both of these and also that we understand you get, you give your life to the Lord. And I remember this clearly when I gave my life to the Lord. There was something happened on the inside of me. I mean, there was no question that Jesus had entered my life or I had entered his or whatever, you know, happened there. There were things on the inside of me that changed in that moment. There were things on the inside of me, there were ways I used to think, there were words I was comfortable saying, there were different things that all of a sudden, I couldn't do it anymore. For one thing, I couldn't use Jesus Christ as a cuss word anymore. I mean, right then, I couldn't do that. It just just grieved my spirit to do that. And, And so there were all these things that changed. There were other things that hadn't changed yet. There were still thoughts, and there still are thoughts, that I have that are ungodly thoughts. There are things that come up on the inside of me. Why is that? Because I'm still in the process of renovation. You're still in the process of renovation. Hopefully we're, hopefully we're giving ourselves to it so we are being renovated. We don't want to experience that, that new genesis and then just stay like that. And I'm, and I'm telling you, There's a lot of doctrine out there. There's a lot of erroneous doctrine out there that tells people, okay, now you've given your life to Jesus. Now, wait, wait, when you die, then then you're going to move into eternal life. The Bible says we're in eternal life right now, right now. And through that eternal life, we are being renovated. We should expect change. We should expect transformation. We should expect to not be the same in two years as we are today. It doesn't, you're, spiritually, it all happens when we give our life to the Lord. But then there's, there's this whole soul, there's our mind, there's emotions, there's our will that all need to be renovated. And I've asked God, I mean, for a long time in my life, I asked the Lord, why did you do it that way? Why didn't you just fix us completely at the, you know, in an instant? Wouldn't that have been cool? And the answer I've gotten that I believe was from the Lord is because I love the process. I love the process. I love the interaction. He loves the interaction. He loves the time with us. He loves to bring us through the changes. He wants the relationship. He wants the relationship. And the relationship produces this. It produces this. The scripture actually, when we're we're talking about salvation, it uses three tenses, verb tenses, about our salvation. It says, we were saved. We gave our life to Jesus. We were saved. It says we are being saved, which refers to the renovation part. We are the salvation that happened when we gave our life to Jesus is working its way out through every part of our life, through every part of our being. We are experiencing more and more and more of what already happened in us. So we were saved. We are being saved. And then it says we will be saved about when we see him face to face because that's when it'll all be completed. 
So if you're waiting for your husband or wife to get finished, to get it all perfect, you know, give it up. It's only going to happen when we see, and I know you're all looking at each other, no, honey, you're, you're already there. Don't listen to him. Uh, when we see him face to face, it says, that's when, the, that's when we will be like him, when we see him face to face. So we were saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. Okay? Does that make sense to you? There, there, there actually is a purpose to what I'm <laughs> teaching you today. And the, and the reason, again, as we go on into the series, I want us to realize why is it so important that I steward these moments? Because without it, the renovation isn't going to happen. Without it, you're just going you, you're to be that person that got saved. And that's great. You're going to spend eternity with God. But he has more than that for you. And you don't have to relegate all the change that needs to happen on the inside of you into eternity. In fact, we're not allowed to relegate it into eternity. We should be, and this is why we hold each other accountable too, as friends, when we have the right relationship. We hold each other accountable. We speak into each other's lives. We speak life into each other's lives, but it's okay for us to have serious relationships where we're able to correct one another at times or encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good works. That's why we're all in this. We're all moving forward together. But man, we've got to give ourselves to this. Okay. So both of those things, when you gave your life to the Lord, then yes, there was a spiritual change happening in you. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, came to live on the inside of you. And he began this process of renovation. Let's finish this up with verse seven. It says, um, actually, I have it here somewhere. So he saved us through, verse 5, through washing and rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope. And the word hope, by the way, if, if you don't know this, in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word that means confident expectation of good. Okay, confident expectation of good. It's not wishing. It's not, boy, I, I hope this happens, but I know it won't. It's not that. It's I live my life with an absolute confident expectation of eternal life because of what Jesus did, okay? In this case of eternal life. I live my life with this confident expectation of good. So, so here we are. He says, he, this took place in us, this washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, that, and this word, that, okay? From the Greek, it means so that, or for the purpose of. He, he saved us for a purpose, okay? He saved us unto something. Eternal life, eternal, to spend eternity with him, yes. But more than that, we have an assignment here. He left the planet to the church. He didn't leave and go away and turn his back on us, but we are here to impact the planet with the life of Jesus Christ. We are here to be praying, God, your will be done on this earth just like it is in heaven. All right, that's a big assignment. Man, you know, I said earlier that, you know, a lot of believers are just living their life in this self-regulation thing or whatever. Well, not only can we not produce, we don't have the power or the ability to even produce the change in ourselves that needs to happen, let alone carry the presence and the will and the purposes of God into the earth, which is our assignment. It's the assignment Jesus gave us. We can't do that on our own. 
we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. We can't even change ourselves. How are we going to change the world? You know, so, so the, the point of this is he saved us for the purpose of or to have this effect or result that we might become. This is, this is a, a single word that means to begin to be manifested, to come into a new state of existence. The idea is it, he saved us so that we might come into this new state of existence, which includes hope of eternal life and to be heirs, get that. There's no way we can get it. <laughs> to be heirs of God. The Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Heirs of God. That means that everything that the Lord has through Jesus Christ, through what he has done for us, he has ushered us into, the scripture says over in Romans, the same new life that he has. All, I realize all this stuff, I mean, for some of you, it just, you know, you've heard a lot of times, whatever, but I mean, if you just spend a little bit of time thinking about this, this is huge. These are huge, huge truths that are yours today. He saved us and he is renovating us so that we might step into this new existence of being heirs of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ, partnering with him in what he's doing in the earth and walking the earth with a confident expectation of eternal life that we're already in. The people that are out there that you're going to minister to this week, and you will minister to people this week, you will have opportunity to minister to people this week. The people that are out there that are apart from God, dying on the inside, and all the other stuff that goes along, sick in their bodies, sick in their minds, uh, all the other stuff that goes along with all the misery that's come from sin, broken relationships, addictions, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's a long list. They don't just need a good story. Jesus didn't send his church out with just a good story. It is a great story. It's an awesome truth. The gospel is tremendously good information. But he didn't just say, okay, guys, you've been with me three and a half years. You've seen who I am. Now go tell people, just tell people who I am. He didn't do that. He sent them out. He said to do the same works that he had done and even greater works. We can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, yeah, take the word of God, which is take the gospel, which is alive, but also demonstrate the gospel. Do the things that I've been doing. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, set people free. We can't do that with just communicating a doctrine. We have to do that through transformed lives, and through carrying his actual presence and life into our world. Because there is a whole lost and dying world that needs all of that. Does this make any sense to you today? All right. There was at least four there. There were at least four of you. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great percentage. Yeah, let's stand up and pray today. Ah, thank you, Lord. Father, I just... I just trust you. That's all I can do. Just trust you. 
to take the things that we've talked about today, and especially some of those huge truths that are just almost unimaginable. Unimaginable is a pretty good word. Lord, help us to imagine them. (laughs) Help us to turn them into images in our hearts and be able to see ourselves as who you've declared us to be. And Lord, as we go out this week, we are your people. We are your church. Lord, we carry your presence. We carry your life. Lord, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. We want to listen. We want to do exactly what you did and just do what we see you doing and say what we hear you saying. And in that, we can be confident, Lord, that your life will be transmitted to people this week. Lord, we lift up our, com- our community and our world. Lord, Father, that we know you have all these people on your heart, all these people, Father, that you want to impact with your life. And our prayer is that, Lord, wherever we are in our spiritual walk, Lord, we know you can work through us. And so, Lord, we ask you for those opportunities this week to touch people with the very life of God, to touch people with your life and your love, with your kindness, with your compassion. Lord, and we thank you for those opportunities in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be dismissed. We're going to be back here at six o'clock tonight. Just spend a lot of time worshiping and seeing where the Lord takes that. So I encourage you to be back then. And you can come in, I think, about half an hour early. Probably there will be somebody making coffee and stuff. So if you want to come in a little early, spend some time fellowshipping. And um, other than that, go out there and be the church. All right. So let's say it on the count of three. We'll say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.